This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, this episode is brought to us by the union, as in a union member who nice. is not with us for this episode, uh, but he has been with us he has. for a number of previous episodes. And... I should probably have listed all of his episodes <laughs> or looked them up before. Let, me get, let him get Let me get them for you. I got it. All right. What, what do you got? What do you we got? got? Albums of 93, music we're fa- thankful for. Mm-hmm. His last pick was Gun Swagger. Okay. That was an interesting one. I'll just do his picks. The Wild Hearts, P-H-U-Q. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Blossoms. That was the sophomore slump revisited. Sophomore yes. slump. He didn't pick that. He did not pick Nirvana. Nirvana. He picked Big Chief. Yes. Mac Avenue Skull Game. And his first pick was Thornetta Davis. And that's Sunday all Phil music. Fleming. Phil was supposed to be here. So we there's a see- bit of a theme there. Can you pick up on a theme? There's like some. There's some rock. Some, some you know, edgy, melodic rock. And there's some soulful stuff. Right, the first two are definitely more on the on the um, soulful end. Yeah, and then you got the Wild Hearts and Gun are definitely the the rock end. Yeah. So, uh, this one was clearly going to be either in the rock camp or the soul camp. No. <laughs> no, nope. it's not. Curveball, big curveball for us. There are a lot of curveballs on this record. I don't. Did you get into this record at all in terms of the curveballs, or did you just listen to it and that's it? I just listened to it. I don't know what you mean. Get into it. We're going to, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this record. So we're talking about the 1997 album, October, 1997 album by one Kylie Minogue. This was, uh, this is impossible princess, which was briefly retitled Kylie Minogue as in self-titled in Europe because do you remember what happened in 1997 with a particular princess, Jay? Princess your Diana princess die, die? Okay. Yes. So they changed it in Europe huh. because of that. Sort I of like how it. Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American was changed to just Jimmy Eat World because that came out right before 9-11. Mm, okay. So this is her sixth studio album. Probably people are going to know um, <laughs> Kylie Minogue, if you were around in the 80s, from The Locomotion or some of the other pop singles that she had. Um, She was an Australian uh, soap opera actress, actually. And she became a pop star. Um, She was on the soap opera Neighbors. And then uh, started, you know, with music, a couple of big UK and Australian singles that got, uh, you know, got some play. And then she ended up leaving. She was with like a like a pop label. And she wanted to do some stuff. I don't know if you remember this, and this is going to play into this whole record thing. Um, the Manic Street Preachers 
when they released their first album, Generation Terrorists, there's a song called Little Baby Nothing, which Tracy Lords duets on. They originally approached Kylie Minogue to do mm. it, and their her label said no. She was okay with it. And yeah. I think that that was like one of the minor issues that started creeping up with her wanting to do something else because she didn't want to be just a pure pop star. Mm-hmm. So she ended up signing to um, a different label. I think it was called Deconstruction. And that's where her fifth album, which was also self-titled, uh, comes into play. That came out in September 94. And it was like they made a very uh, big deal about it no longer being a pop album. Like she was moving in a different direction. She was working with different producers. She was starting to do her own songwriting, which she had not really been allowed to do at that point. Hmm. And um, so it was her her stepping out on her own and saying, I'm an artist and whatnot. So for this record, now I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I don't know how big of a Nick Cave fan you are, but Nick Cave put out the album Murder Ballads in 1996. She sings on the single Where the Wild Roses Grow. That was her like breaking out from the mold of like being a pop star again. Right. She wanted to work with more interesting artists. He ended up um, giving her a book by I'm trying to remember the name of the Billy. What was his name? Billy Childish. He wrote a book called Poems to the Broken Hearts of Impossible Princesses that was published in 1984. And Nick Cave gave her that book. And that's where she got the title from the album um so they and he actually wrote a song for the record that didn't end up getting put on the record it was just they did a demo but it didn't end up making this record um she wanted to work with a lot of different people uh the producers came back from the previous record but she also worked with um dave ball who was in soft cell and uh some other folks that we'll get into so this came out in 97 it did pretty well in Australia. The UK press hated it hmm. to the point where they actually banned the record from being played on the radio because they thought it was such an embarrassingly bad radio Who? song album. Who banned it? Who's they? It's let me see. It's where here. Where is? Let's see. Public reaction. Uh, I'm trying to. I read it in the Wikipedia article. The NME said that the, that. Late Kylie Minogue is a total fraud for introducing new musical genres to her work. Hmm. Uh, they gave it a four out of 10. Q magazine gave it a two out of five, which is the other big British publication. Where is the thing about her? Oh yeah. Here a year after its release, UK version radio mocked the album sales stating we've done something to improve Kylie's records. We've banned them. So like there was hatred for this record by the UK press. I mean, this is at the height of the press's power in the UK, right? Though because this is Britpop, and I like, guess my goodness, the UK press is very uh, vicious. Jeez, calm down. It's just music, man. I, it's crazy. <laughs> Imagine if any anybody in America took music this seriously. And it's not even that it was. <laughs> Like there was something offensive on the record. Like yeah. there's not like a song about like the Iraq war where she's like, I'm right. pro Saddam. Right. Right. Like, right. <laughs> like it's just cause she 
decided to do something different and she um on this record she has solo writing credits on several songs and then co-writing credits on a number of the songs and in a couple of the songs was when i was looking up the writing of it she would write lyrics and then she would work the work with the producer and the producer would then take it and say let's try these lyrics and so they would just constantly be bouncing lyrics back and forth and she would she actually lived with the producers for like a number of months and she would wake up every morning with a new set of lyrics and they would say we like this this and this go back and she would just constantly be rewriting lyrics over and over again so she did a ton of work like i think the perception of pop stars is that they don't really do anything they just show up and sing maybe right. they get a co-writing credit if they like contribute a line here and there but she was like very actively involved in every aspect of this record and this was re-released in i think 2003 with bonus discs there's obviously because this is a pop record there's always remixes and, and single remixes dance remixes so there's like a whole album of every track is remixed plus there were a couple of b-side tracks that were collected uh, and then after this I don't know how big of a Kylie Minogue fan uh, you are, Jay. Uh, not, I'm not. You're not a big fan. I was only familiar with her name. So in 2000 is the next album, which is Body Language. I'm trying to find her um, discography so I can make sure that I actually get this all correct. So in 2003, she releases um, Body Language. That was on uh, Parlophone. And then in 2007, she releases X. I mean, all these albums are now selling like a million. Body Language did a million and a half. I left off Fever. Fever is the one I wanted to get to. So Fever, which came out in 2001, has the single Can't Get You Off My... Can't Get You Out of My Head, which I think is one of the best singles of all time. You might know that from the la 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 la. Like it's just a great earworm. Okay. That's that song was written by Kathy Dennis, which uh Kathy Dennis, come on and get my love. She had a big single with that. I don't know if you remember that song. And she worked with a lot of different folks on that record as well. Oh, there was the Light Years album as well. Well that but it was fever that took off. Like that was the one that exploded, sold six million worldwide. Uh, Light Years did not do as well following uh, after or it did it did better, but it didn't do it didn't hit a million. So let's uh, uh, get to some comments on this record from our patrons. We'll get to the poll at the end of the show. Uh, Willie Dixon said, I was looking forward to checking this out, but to be honest, it didn't have enough of an edge for me. It was a little too light too much of the time. Maybe I'll I'd find it more. I find more to like after more than one listen as it is. It's a better EP. Gavin said, well, this is a left field choice for the pod. No one has suggested left field, uh, but I'm intrigued to hear the review. I've gone EP as it's not for me, but the whole genre of dance pop. Uh, but that's the whole genre of dance pop. I'm going to skip Darren's comment for a sec. Uh, Ian McIver said, there are some decent musical ideas on the album restricted by the pop song format. And sadly, Kyle's vocals, Kylie's vocals and lyrics, still a sign of things to come for her own success in the 2000s. Better EP. Uh, Patrick Testa, wow, this is definitely a head turner. There are a couple of clunkers, and I don't feel like this represents 
Kylie's best vocals, but I do think her voice and the music go so well together. It really feels like a band performance. There's also a lot of really cool, unique rock-like approaches to the songs. I love the blending of instrumentation. If you make it through, talking to you, Willie, and others, the album pays off on the last four songs are some of the best. Kyle Bittner said, this was fine. It didn't really bother me one way or another. I put it on, I played it, and moved on. There were a couple of songs that made me peek to see the name uh, breathe in some kind of bliss. But in the end, I found it a bit forgettable. Better EP. And then Darren Leach said, did you read any of the comments, by the way, on Patreon? For the album? I scanned them. I scanned them. Okay. Did you read? Do you happen to catch Darren's comment? I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. He said her shift away from pop to record an indie album because her nickname at this time was Indie Kylie because she left her, her big pop label. <laughs> okay. With help from the Manic Street Preachers. So yeah. they're involved in making this record. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that listening. I, to I, this. Did, I, I didn't need to read the comments to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into that in my feedback. Okay. So we've established you were not, you're not like a big Kylie. You're not a Kylie head. I'm a, no, I'm a I mean, I, I had no opinion one way or another. I just remember uh, she was like a pop artist that would come up in conversations when you'd be talking to like, I don't know, people that were knowledgeable and passionate about music and or rock music. Like it was unique that she was one of those artists that came up in those conversations. That's that's really all I knew about her. I might know some of the songs you mentioned, but I wouldn't know that they were her. Got it. Well, let's get into this record, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about Impossible Princess by Kylie Minogue. There's two modes of songs on this record that I think work well. Uh, first one... And I think what both of them are doing is the production is really matching what her voice can bring to the songs. So one example or one mode, let's say, is using strings and piano to create this like suspenseful, dramatic, intrigue-filled, kind of sultry sound. Um, so I'm thinking of too far is a good example. The first song on the tr uh, album and dreams is another great example. Of the last song on the album, um, they have the cinematic feel and it lets her voice, which is kind of delicate and a little girly sounding like sounds young and it's kind of high. It brings to it this weight by having this um, dramatic string production and pianos that have some space in them and, they um, really complement the vocal well in that they're either like enhancing the melody or they're responding to it. You know, Dreams is a good example where, you know, there's all this space and atmospherics and as she's singing, like the strings are almost responding to her, vo her vocal, which I think mm -hmm. works really well. To have every man, but to love only one, to wake with the moon and sleep with the sun, to be a sinner and saint, a lover and friend, to know a beginning but never an end, to fly in the ocean, to swim in the skies, believer in truth, defendant of lies, to know the purest love, the deepest pain, to be lost and found again and again and again.
Uh, somebody in the Discord, I think, said it sounds like it could be in a Bond film. Yeah. Yes. I I would 100% agree with those that that sentiment. So, in that mode, I think it's really cool. It's also kind of timeless. Yeah, you think of Bond films, you think cinematic stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's atmospheric. You can close your eyes and kind of imagine a you know image. The other mode I like a lot is the guitar driven songs. Um, I didn't realize when I listened to this record, I was basically going to be hearing some, (laughs) some pretty good Mannix tunes. Uh, So I picked up right away, some kind of bliss and I don't need anyone. You know, the first time I heard them that they were either written by James Dean Bradfield or they were modeled after James Dean Bradfield because it's so clear uh, from the guitar parts and the melodies and how the strings are used and the production and everything like it is manix 1997 um and i think she works good in that format i think you know there's a more of a pop sheen to it you know the drums have more of that punchy pop sound um but i think it it fits her voice in that you know she can she has a foot in this bright soaring melodic sense with the strings really enhancing that but then there's this driving you know a bit of a driving guitar and drum um going on underneath the songs i think that two that combination together just really complements her well again they're i think you know songs written by band guitar bands the advantage to them is that you know it allows the singer to be able to do a lot um and and also kind of just played at the song, right? You do not relying, you don't have to rely a lot on the production. If you got the guitar chords and a couple of melodic hooks in there, like you can do quite a bit with them. I, I, it just, it feels good for, I think her vocal style, she's able to kind of lean into the songs and let them be what they are, bring her flavor to it. I think the string stuff in there works well, which is something the Manics were doing a lot of the time. Um, and I just geeked out because you know, I can't hear enough lost manic stuff. So right. Uh, maybe I'll also want to hear them their versions of these songs. Be fun to hear. Um, so those were the two things that I think I responded the most to on this record and work for me. What worked for you? Well, uh, I just want to backtrack for one sec. The first time I played this record, and I've never I had never listened to this. Um, I was sitting here at my desk and my and Katie, my wife, was at uh the desk behind me or at the somewhere in this room and some kind of bliss came on and I, I like turned to her and I looked at, and I looked back at the screen and I was like turning to her. I'm like, do you, do you hear this? I'm like this, she ripped off the Main street preachers. Like this sounds like the Main street preachers. And then I went to the Wikipedia page and I was like, son of a bitch. They co-wrote this song. Yeah, J- yeah. James Dean Bradfield and Sean Moore, the drummer have co-write credits and it's produced by Dave Oringa who produced everything must go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, what magic is the are, is in their sauce? <laughs> I can hear one like verse and chorus and pick out that it's a Manchester Preacher song. And I looked it up. It's just like A minor, C, F, C, A minor, C. The only thing that they do is in the chorus, he uses a weird um he he it's like F C F C, which are again very basic chords, and then he uses an A f- flat and then to a g in that like last part of the chorus where it changes Mm -hmm. a bit 
I'm like, that's such a manic street preachers thing to do. Like change that lap. You have three progressions of one chord progression and then the last chord progression changes. And I could totally hear James D. Bradfield's vocal throughout this, which was, then I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like she is playing around with genres. Um, And I also picked up on that with the other song that they co-wrote, which is I don't need anyone. That one was Nikki wire and James Dean Bradfield working together. That intro, as soon as you hear it, the exchange between the, how the guitar chords are played and the string counter mm-hmm. melody instantly. I was like, boom, this is Mannix. Yep. Yep. But I was like you, I assumed like she was working with some producers that were basically ripping them off. Like, Hey, we're going to write a rock song. They were big at the time in the UK. Let's write a song like the Mannix. And then the same thing as you, I went and looked at the song credits. I was like, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> they actually wrote the song. And I imagine it it was probably pretty like there must have been some sort of uh I don't know like like kismet there that they wanted her for the first record and couldn't get her and now they're now she's bringing yeah. them in to um to actually sing or or to co like co-write songs with her that had that, that had to be pretty cool for them. I thought at some point maybe it was um Maybe it wasn't until uh, they did like live stuff. I thought that she did end up working with them. I know that, you know, they've obviously worked with a lot of different singers. Um, You know, Mark Lanigan was on the last record. Nina, um, uh, what's her name from? Nina Pearson. Uh, Pearson. Pearson? That's, yep. I was going to say uh, the other Nina from uh, Virgil Salt. Oh. <laughs> Nina Peebles gotcha. of the of the Peebles family. Um I thought they had recorded a song with her on one of the last two records, uh, but it was not. It was uh the secret he had missed was Julia Cumming, and then on Resistance is Futile it was uh the anchoress was on Dylan and Caitlin. I don't know, I don't know why I thought she had been on there. She should. I mean, based on this pairing on this record just these two songs i would love to hear an album of of them i would love to hear her and james dean bradfield singing together for like a whole record just yeah. do a duets record that would be yeah. fantastic but beyond those Dang. two songs i do think there's some interesting stuff on this record um patrick mentioned it i, I do like the the trip hop that's kind of happening on through the years and love takes over me at the end of the record the last song has a very like if people were into ruby uh that was a trip-hop artist that i really liked um she had singles like tiny meat and paraffin 
Um, but they, you know, it's it's got that mid '90s, late '90s trip hop vibe of Portishead and Morchiba and Hooverphonic and and those. Yeah. And then you get um, there's some really, I, there, there are songs that I don't love the whole song, but they have really interesting parts. So like too far, I don't love her vocal for that song, but I really like the stuttering breakbeat drums, the yeah. string interludes that happen. Yeah. Those are really cool. Um, on cowboy style, which is it's very electronica. I mean, you could have heard that on probably like a, a chemical brothers album, but there's some, um, she included some like Celtic elements that are if, interesting. And then also there's some like cool tribal drumming towards the end of that song. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of interesting parts and, and her vocal is constantly evolving. Like sometimes she's doing a breathy thing. Sometimes she's very aggressive, almost like rapping on some of these songs. Um, mostly she's in, you know, pop singer mode, but I, it, I do find it real interesting how much she pushed herself and the music to, to do different things when she could have just sat back and just made pop records and just like, you know, worked with big producers and songwriters and not had to worry about any of this, but that she wanted to do something more adventurous. Does it all work? We can get into that, but there are definitely some like really standout songs that have great hooks. I mean, they have to, it's a pop album. Yeah. They got to work on the hooks. Um, no, some kind of bliss was the lead single off this they made a video for it and i guess uh that was part of the problem with the uk press is they were like oh she's just using the manics to make a rock album and then the rest of the album isn't completely rock and they're like yeah. this doesn't sound like the single mm, yeah i could see that um so there was just a lot of bad publicity in the uk around this record um but yeah that's that's what worked for me i'm it's kind of in the same ballpark as you i mean i think that there are like half the record is like really really strong as far as what doesn't work what do you say look i i don't i'm not a like a huge fan of her voice i don't dislike it i just don't hear anything remarkable so it really comes down to the songs to me for this record to work if the songs play with you know allow her voice to you know work well within them and the production is well suited to the song and also helping her vocal then i think it's working this uh, the songs that are heavier on the production side maybe more experimental i struggle with while I like, while I agree with you, so let's just talk about cowboy style. I like some of the ideas in cowboy style. As a song, I find it a bit schizophrenic. Like, it starts mm -hmm. off with almost like, oh, it's going to go in this kind of, you know, electro western kind of vibe, but then it brings in this really like heavy plucky key thing over top that feels eastern. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the Celtic. Yeah, our Celtic, kind of like, it, it, and then it just or gets Celtic. kind of muddled, and it's very like overall busy and distracting from like, well, what is the song and what is the vocal doing? And right, it, it, I think at times it 
you know, that's a good example where I think it gets a bit overambitious. some other stuff on here like breathe that you know gets mid-tempo-y and uses a lot of like keyboard looping and bloop blipping and blooping stuff that's just like yeah atmosphere and nuance and not really again like it's a pop song like what is the what's the hook here what's the melody what's the what's the point of this so there's a couple examples um something like limbo to me, the beginning of that I, sounds exactly like that song "Ready to Go" by Republica. I, I, exact same note. <laughs> the, exact the point where, like, when that started, I was like, "Oh, I didn't know she did this song." <laughs> <laughs> and then, as the song goes, I'm like, "Oh, this isn't the song; it's a different song." But wait a minute, what the? F and I had to look it all up, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, okay." So I don't know some of this genre stuff. I get the ambition; it's just it feels like trying on a different outfit or suit or something and not really owning it um not really like delivering on the songs all the time um, through the years is another example of like okay this is like a portishead vibe but not quite as interesting as portishead mm -hmm. um so yeah I, I, i'm gravitating more towards you know the the tracks that they're either focus more on like the vocal and what the vocals delivering from a melodic standpoint or the song and less on the songs that are about like mid nineties pop and dance music production, which to me just muddles and distracts me from like, well, what's the hook here? Right. What didn't work for you? Same thing about some of these songs where uh, like limbo being basically Republica's ready to go. Um, there are also, I just feel like some generic sound, like uh, drunk sounds mm -hmm. like it's off of like a trance compilation from like 1998. Like it's completely indiscernible from like any other trance out song that was happening in the nineties. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some just lyrical choice, not lyrical choices, but cadence and, and, and delivery choices that I don't love. Um, the attempts at rapping, I did not care for that. Um, I feel like when she is belting it out real big, like that's when her voice kind of is the most interesting. Um, sometimes when she gets in, like, it's very intimate, like on dreams and the verses with that, you know, you're just getting that string, thing happening and that's it yeah. um i like that um 
I just feel like maybe there was almost too much experimentation. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. there needed to be, and I, that might be from working with multiple producers. You don't have like a cohesion. I mean, I'm sure she, she's thinking about the overall, but you, you know, was she getting input on the overall from anyone else outside of like, I don't know, somebody with the label or something like that. Um, it feels like, like an ind independent record. And that yeah. doesn't have the the mark of a production uh, point of view. when you hear like the electronica aspect happening then it makes me think oh what if she had worked with the chemical brothers like what mm -hmm. would have that sounded like what if they produced her album or um you or know listen to the manic stuff it's like well, what if she did a whole record with the manics that would, right you know what would that be like or you know like There's now like we eight, would say eight examples of that in the, on this record <laughs> right now we would say hey just put just do like four songs and put out an ep on yeah you know spotify yeah. or whatever uh I understand back then it was that's a huge commitment. Yeah. Um not gonna not gonna happen then. It's not gonna exactly. But I don't know. So it's kind of a schizophrenic record, I would say. Uh yep. in terms of style, in terms of production, and in terms of quality. There's some stuff that's very singular sounding and has has it it's unique. And then there's things that just sound like genre exercises that are that are. This is the trance song. <laughs> this is the trip hop song. Uh, Do it again has like kind of a lazy Brit pop feel. So, yeah, that's. So I understand why the commenters on Patreon were kind of struggling with, not really saying you know not saying this is terrible, but not loving it because I, I think that the overall isn't remarkable but when you bore down into certain songs you can find some gems the yeah the moments are fleeting that you might grab onto and i, I think there's enough variety here that like all kinds of different you know listeners could hear things they like but it's fleeting it's gonna quickly change to something else you're probably not gonna like <laughs> And you're gonna have to wait a couple of songs to get back to what you liked. Um, it feels like maybe four to five different records uh, or ideas for different records around this. Yeah. To me. And I, I liked your idea of, you know, had this been done now, you could do this as a series of EPs, which would have been much 
it would have worked much better creatively. It's like you fully lean into a sound, you know, you do two to five songs that really, you know, take a pop turn on that genre and then you move on to the next one. And, you know, some people like tummy peas and some like others and some are huge fans of yours and I like whatever you do, but yeah, cohesively as a record, I'm not sure I understand this record. Right. And this did come out in 97. So we're talking about trip hop as a current thing. Like mm-hmm. this isn't like five years after trip hop has already petered out or something like you're smack dab in the middle of massive attack and Portishead, you know, putting out records. Um, same thing with the trance and, and electronica movements like 97 is where it's happening. So she was kind of on trend with those, but they, they just don't sound as good as those other artists. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would or the other approach you could take is like every song is with a different outside group that you write with. Like one song is with the Chemical Brothers, one song with the Manx Street Preachers, do one song with Massive Attack, do you know, like that, like just track by track going through hitting different genres and different sounds. And you know, what it what would her and Liam Gallagher sound like together? Or or you know, Damon Albarn doing a Britpop track Ronnie size like it, she basically <laughs> does some breakbeat that's very similar to Ronnie size so why not just work with Ronnie size mm-hmm. uh, so on our overall ratings Jay I'll share our patron results in a moment but where do you land on this I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with an EP it's almost two singles uh, with a by a sides and b sides uh, i'm gonna go i like too far in dreams i think those two songs go really great together and make a cool like little ep or single a a b side and i think some kind of bliss i don't need anymore and i think did it again fits in with that well even though son of manic's written song i think it goes well with those other two so i think those three fit together really well um, so I've got about five songs. I'll call it an EP. Maybe you do, you know, sequence them, the three rock songs together and then sort of the three more orchestral, you know, cinematic songs together. How about you? I would go, uh, I agree with you that it's kind of like a, a double seven inch <laughs> or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of bliss and I don't need anyone go perfectly together. Um, I don't, I don't, I know they're a little generic, but I do like her voice in the trip hop space with through the years and love takes over me. Um, and then, uh, I like dreams. I think that's interesting. Um, and then, uh, that might be maybe breathe. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember it. I don't, I didn't write anything down for breathe. Uh, I think I, I think I forgot to write something. So I'd be at five or six songs. Yeah. About, where I'm at. about the same, which honestly, looking at our poll results, we're right on, right on target. 50, 50. We're the album better EP. So half our um, listeners or our patrons listened to this and thought, uh, this is a worthy album. So good well, on them for, being open to it because I don't know how a lot of people did not seem like they were going to be open to it from their comments or were, well, were not expecting to be find anything interesting. We're Manix fans. I mean, I'm sure there's bigger, much bigger Manix fans than us, but you know, we're pretty knowledgeable about the band. Not on this like, continent. We, 
neither of us knew they had any involvement with this record. So it's a fun, if you're a Manix fan and you didn't know that, it's a fun listen to at least right. check those songs out. And the, the flip side of that is for those who made comments and, and like some of the stuff on this record, if you liked the stuff that was more guitar oriented and you haven't spent a lot of time with the Manix, you <laughs> might want to go back and check them out because basically they're, you know, that's, that's them. That's what they sound like. Yeah, the, I was trying to figure out like I at one point I was like, did, did, is this actually a manic song that they just like repurposed mm-hmm. for this? Because some kind of bliss sounded like it could have been on like postcards for a young man. Yeah. And then the other one, uh I don't need anyone. That sounded like it could have been on like rewind the film. Yeah. And I was like, they don't sound like I mean, I know her name's on the credits so i won't question her involvement with it but they to me they don't sound like they were written necessarily for this record or for another person they just sound like manic songs <laughs> oh well i got the impression from reading that at least for some kind of bliss james dean bradfield and her sat down in a room together with a with a guitar okay. and he just strummed the song on acoustic guitar which if you look at those chords you go yeah those are yeah. easy chords you know major minor chords to play on an acoustic he worked on the melody. Yeah. Like humming just, the melody and she was singing lyrics. It's wild how seemingly simple that stuff is. And it just sounds like him, man. I would love to talk to someone who can dissect <laughs> like the actual like key and like what yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. musically. Cause there is a distinct aspect to hit the way that James D. Bradfield's voice interacts with their chord progressions and mm-hmm. their, and I don't know what he's doing, but I'm sure somebody who knows about music much yeah. s- smarter than me <laughs> would be able to tell you, tell me what that is. Yeah. Um, so 50, 50, we're the album better EP. Phil, we hope that everything's okay. And uh, we'd like to get your feedback on this. Uh, we're going to what- assume uh, Phil thought it was a worthy album, but. Yeah, if we're, if we're wrong, you'll have to go to Discord and find out, and he'll correct us. But uh, I, I had to, uh, I, I have to imagine that he picked this because of that Manix, comp- like sure. he knows, yeah, he's he knows Manix us, fan. yeah, he knows, uh, like, because this is a, gr- I gotta admit, this is a great entry point into all of this other stuff, like, oh we we're not going to do a pop album well how about this pop album that has mm-hmm. the Manx street preachers on it like god damn you that's the little hook that got us in there and now we're uh talking about kylie minogue which if you had told us 13 years ago <laughs> that we'd be doing an episode on kylie minogue um we would have been like is there a different kylie minogue that we don't know of or was there a, a punk band named kylie minogue <laughs> that spelled yeah, but... it with like <laughs> bunch of wise kelly minogue kelly minogue you know kylie's sister kelly so we need to thank phil for suggesting this record and if you would like to uh join the union and suggest a record like phil or all of our patrons do uh do we have any of those left jay i know we just had it i i forgot to mention at the top of the show but we just had uh mr uh, I think it's Matt Staup, S-T-A-U-P. Yep. He just joined us at the uh, at the suggested album level. Yep. 
board of directors. He'll be he, jo- he joined our board of directors. He'll be stepping in and making a pick. We'll make like a Phil pick. Has. He gets to a vote in our monthly tournament polls. He gets to vote in um, picking our eighties. Ep- excuse me, our aughts episodes, which we need to uh, record that sometime soon. Uh, and then uh, also gets to gets a t shirt. Right? Don't you get a t shirt that level? Yeah, you do. See, we clothe you. We give you <laughs> nourishment for your ears, and we put clothes on your back. Get a uh, exclusive DMO board of directors shirt. Yep. And sticker. Can't forget the sticker. It's the that's the biggest uh put that the, on your lap. Put that on your laptop. Put on your laptop, or um if you have a plastic lunchbox that you take into work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were those called? The metal ones that we had as kids. Thermos? Or are you talking about like a the, brand? They, they were like metal and they had to have like cartoon, you could buy them. They were like themed cartoon characters or Dukes yeah, I had a Dukes of Hazard one. Yeah. Was there a name for those? They they were just lunch, I, I just called them a lunchbox, but yeah, I I don't remember like what company made them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there was like an A Team one. I mean, there was like Star Wars and Knight Rider. Like there oh, was yeah. always all sorts of cool ones. And then there were also plastic ones that you could have. You there would be like, you know, different things on there, like Pac Man or something like that. The uh, Dukes of Hazard one. Yeah. Guess how much that goes for now? Eighty dollars. If you've got the thermos, which also which had a giant Confederate flag on it, <laughs> it's just a thermos with. Seriously, it's a thermos with a giant Confederate flag on it that says Dukes of Hazard. That's what I probably took to <laughs> third grade Catholic school in Buffalo, New York, in the eighties. Right, totally normal. Yep. I t- I so remember. I may have had this. I remember it so vividly. Um, guess how much it costs now? I said eighty. One eighty. One eighty. And I assume that's not rusted and no dents and stuff like that. It's in pretty view shape. Oh, okay. It's, I mean, it's in good shape, but it's not like, you know, in the box and everything. Right. Well. That plastic thermos with the flip up lid. Oh my God. This is taking me back. I don't know if I, I got, um, I don't want to pull it out, but I got a Pac-Man cup from a, a, like a, you secondhand store uh-huh. but it has like it has two layers so like there's a clear outside and then there's so there's like little there's almost like a little um like toy pac-man thing happening inside mm-hmm. the cup yep it wasn't a ton of money but it was just like i'm pretty sure i got that from like a pizza hut or something like there was some giveaway where they were like giving those like burger king for when pac-man was happening or something like mm-hmm. that and i was like i have to i have to buy it i have to put it back in my house that and some atari cartridges yeah. which i don't have an atari but i was like cartridges for two dollars okay <laughs> I'll, t- I'll turn them into artwork anyway this yeah. is the kind of stuff we chat about it over at the discord which you get when you join us at patreon all sorts of fun topics uh every day people are talking about new releases there's just a new release from blur was announced new album from blur coming soon did we did we know that was coming no it was totally out of the blue yeah i thought um and uh we talk about uh rock and roll podcasts besides ourselves we talk about uh rock docs and audio gear and 
all kinds of reissues that are happening. So Patreon, that's how you get to the Discord. It's also where you can read the Box Newsletter, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. The Box Newsletter comes out every week with a calendar of new releases and two reviews of new albums, books, movies, documentaries, TV shows about 80s, 90s, and aughts music. And digmeoutpodcast.com is also where you go to suggest an album for our monthly polls. 27 albums enter the poll, one album leaves. You can suggest your album and leave a comment about why you're suggesting it, and we will include that in your episode so we don't have to use AI-generated content to fill the <laughs> we, gaps. Uh, we use both to fill the gaps. This podcast is actually AI-generated. So... This is this is what AI thinks two middle-aged white guys would be talking about. Make your pitch, you know, try to convince people to pick your record. But you know, I also augment it with some some information to try to help people understand who the hell some of these artists are. Cause every week it's like I would say seven of the t- nine, maybe six of the nine. I have no idea who these people are. Yeah, same. So, uh, a lot so of the names sure are that, completely like, unknown. When the, when we put them up, it's there. It's you know a little bit of chance for people if if they don't end up winning, at least know who they are and maybe give them a listen. So, and lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave some positive feedback for this program. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We'll be out. <laughs> With Bob, we'll what? We'd be out. No, what did I have? We'll be back again, or we'll be back back again again. next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. just have a stroke i did kind of stroke out there for a sec <laughs> we about bubble doo bop